Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. So, Paul, here we are again in our houses. It's so great to be here. How's quarantine <laughs> for you? I think quarantine for me is a little better than it is for you. My kids are older. They require less attention. I get to lock myself away in the basement. I don't really see anybody all day long. Yeah, that's pretty much how I sum up my experience. Get me out of here! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> and that is exactly how I feel about quarantine. I'm ready. It needs to be over. Not in a like political kind of way, you know, like I, I, I just need to be not in my house. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. What we've learned is jail would be an efficient form of torture for me because, yeah, this is, <laughs> and I even get to go for like a run outside every day and, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think just to make my point clear. <laughs> so yeah, that was a little mixture of the two. So <laughs> we we have a good topic today. We've, you know, kind of taken this opportunity to scale back and talk about some more basic topics. We talked about the four essential items to a coding recommendation, which I honestly I forgot number four the other day on a webinar. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, expounding on an answer to a question. Totally didn't need to, but I was like, you know what? I'll plug the podcast. Yeah. You know, just last week we did four essential. I was like, all right, so there's this and there's this. And I got to three of them. And I was just like, started doing that talk in circles thing where you want people, you know, you're just hoping that your brain fart catches up to your mouth. And I finally just had to stop it. So can I tell you, I was listening to that broadcast at the time and I was in the process of picking up my cell phone so that I could text you what the answer was that you were looking for. I knew where you were going and I knew you had blanked out on it. <laughs> yeah. I was just finally just like, Oh no, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I can't, I can't come up with it. And you know, I made it like a good two or three minutes expounding the answer about the first three while trying to think of the fourth one. It was a valiant effort, but it failed nonetheless. Anyway, those four yeah. things are the environment, the function of the coding, service life considerations, and the big one that I forgot, application restraints. As you were summarizing, Point three really is what has led us to today's topic. Sure. And we kind of want to talk about, you know, because there's so many different ways you can go about protecting your assets from corrosion and even options outside of coatings. But within the coatings world, there are so many different options for you guys to use, to pick, to go ahead with. So we thought we would start breaking down kind of everything. And we're going to look at the different things that influence cost on a protective coatings job. And we thought the best place to start would be with surface prep and that we would start talking about some of the different surface prep methods and their effects on cost, 
and their effects on life cycle. That's right. So if you talk to anybody in tech service or honestly, most people in the coding world, they're going to talk to you and say, really, surface prep is what gives you the make or break of a good coding system. If you skimp out on surface prep, you can really, you know, adversely affect an excellent coding system by bad surface prep. So it really is a good place to start when we're talking about this. And if you go back through the other episodes of the Carboline Tech Service podcast, you're going to see we've talked about surface prep methods in the past, but not necessarily how they relate to the cost of the job, just what the differences are between them. So we talk about the differences between the abrasive blast standards and the different types of techniques and mechanical methods. But this is more of how they relate to the cost of a project. Sure. And those are good episodes to go back and listen to. So if you wanted to hear about dry abrasive blasting, you would go back to episode. See, I'm doing it right now. That thing where I look up and I talk at the same time and I just had to make stuff up because I'm not, I just flew right by it. Here we go. Episode 91, we get into the abrasive blasting standards uh, that we have Dan Barabald on with us. Uh, we have a blast media overview with a friend from surface prep supply and that's episode 89. So we don't, we're not going to get into that as much. And, and we even have episode 76 with Graham from blast one. That's right. We we've talked about some of the standards and the practices, but we haven't talked about how those standards and practices, most importantly, in fact, your overall cost, you know, we're not going to give you price list kind of considerations here or exact numbers because it changes we're going to talk in generalities. And so one of the things that we're going to use to guide our way is a NACE paper. And NACE every couple of years puts out a paper that's called expected service life and cost considerations for maintenance and new construction protective coating work. And I think that's a good place to start off with when it comes to surface prep and cost. There is a major difference between whether you're doing a new project or an old project. Boy, that's right. And a lot of that cost or a lot of that difference comes from the environment that you have to work in. What's the space that you're actually doing the job? Are you doing a project that's mainly shop-based where you have control over your environment, you have all of your equipment available, you have space to store things, you have set up and built your business to give you these opportunities? Or is this something where you're working on a job site? You're out in the field, you don't have as much control over your environment. It's more difficult to have shelter. It's more difficult to have climate control. It is more difficult to designate and secure the spaces where you're going to store your material, whether it's your new raw materials coming in or your waste on its way out. Every single step of the project becomes a little more complicated when you're trying to do it on the job site rather than when you were doing it in your shop. Sure. And so let's start and get this one out of the way because it's the major cost here. Let's talk about if we're painting an already painted tank or an already painted asset. This is what I was referring to as an old project, because now no matter what your surface prep method is, you have to address the existing paint on the surface. So the first thing you have to know is there hazardous materials, mainly is there lead in that paint? You know, that always is the most concerning factor that everybody has when you're talking about an existing project. And, you know, nobody wants to have to get involved with that dreaded A word. You know, nobody wants to deal with lead abatement. Sure. And you do have to if there's lead present. That's right. And so what a lot of the coding companies have come up with is low stress, surface tolerant top coats that you can apply over these 
systems. And in a lot of cases, that does a great job. But sometimes, yes, you actually have to remove it. And in most cases, you have to remove something. You know, you're always going to be doing at least some scraping on there. Yeah, so let's follow the chain that we've established so far. You have a pro protective coatings job. It's either new construction or it's a repaint. The repaint is more expensive than new construction. As we go down into that repaint, because we have to deal with containment of the removal of the existing coating, and it might not even be the full removal. We might not even be talking about a full repaint. If we're abrading that existing coating in any way, shape, or form, which we would if we're top coating, just freshening it up, you know, this isn't necessarily a full removal. You have to keep those containment things in mind. When we look at it in the NACE standard, they give you four different classes for levels of contaminants and then four different ways of removing those existing paints and then all of the multipliers that you would take basically your normal steel numbers and multiply it. You know, if, if you're abrasive blasting a class one designation, that is going to make the job cost three times as much according to this NACE standard. That's right. And when we talk about the multipliers, those are frequently revolving around the complexity of the structure that you're working on. Those complex structures, it could be a simple structure, and but it could be elevated. And so if you're having to work at elevation, this table breaks it down into generally three different height structures that you're working at. And it just says less than 50 feet or 50 to 100 or more than 100. And there's a multiplier there because each one of those bring about their own set of difficulties. And whether it's a simple structure, which can be easily contained, easily build scaffolding around or easily get a lift up to, or is this a complex structure where it's going to be difficult to move around in? It's going to be difficult to bring equipment up to the top. You're going to have a lot of complex shapes to work around. All of those are going to be factors. And they really make it a nice, simple guide for how to help estimate what these prices might be, whether you're submitting in for bids or whether you're just trying to review, what's it going to cost me to have this project done? And I think that's an important designation because it's an estimate. This standard was developed by surveying different paint contractors and they refresh it every couple of years. You know, it doesn't give, it gives some kind of prices per square foot, but I don't want to get into that aspect because I think we, we lose some of it there. I want to talk about the different effects and how they affect it. So like that three times as high for class one containment, if you're up, that was for on the ground and up to 50 feet. If you're over a hundred feet in the air, it's four times as much as new construction. And that's literally the difference in costs for the same thing between new construction and dealing with any kind of existing paint. That's right, Jack. And you know, one of the things that I found the most interesting as I've reviewed this document over the years, a lot of times you'll have somebody who says, I can't afford to, or I don't want to bring abrasive blast equipment into this job site. And that is a factor. You do have additional containment constraints that you have to work with. But one of the interesting factors, if you're looking at just the difference between a power tool to bare steel, SP11. There's it gives you a factor, and you know it's five dollars and some change is the estimate on this one. And if you look at the price to do SP10 under those same conditions, it's just a little over two bucks. So you're looking at almost triple, more than double the price to do the power tool clean. And your only objective for wanting to do power tool clean may have been so you have to put up less containment. So it is a consideration that you have to look at to say how much more because in a factor like that you're truly looking at man hours. And how much does it cost me 
to keep a crew on the job site for that much longer when I'm doing hand tools as opposed to more power tool and more high production work. And I don't know that I want to muddy the waters too much, but I, let's take that example of the differences that you gave were for new construction of like that power tool clean being like five bucks and change or whatever. But then we get into when we're dealing with those uh, containment multipliers, there's kind of a give and take because that three and four times as high, that was for abrasive blasting. When we look at power tool cleaning, their multipliers aren't as high because it's not going to send the potential environmental contaminants as far as it does with blasting. It's a much more controlled process. The labor itself doesn't really take any longer with a power tool. I mean, it takes forever <laughs> to prep steel with a power tool. Right. <laughs> you know, for, for simple structures, it's a 1.25 multiplier you know, on the low end. And that's for non, non-hazardous materials. It is important when we talk about the old jobs where we're coming in and we're rehabbing, refurbishing, repainting, the cost goes up compared to new construction just because of the extra labor involved to prep the surface for proper coating adhesion. So now let's just talk about everything being equal. It's new construction and we're looking at the different costs between the different surface preparation methods. And the NACE standard that we're looking at breaks it out into shop and field. And I think one of the things that we should talk about immediately, and it kind of goes back to something that you said earlier in the episode, is that the shop painting generally is going to be cheaper for surface prep, painting, etc., because the guys are in their shops, in their situations where they have everything they need, and there's less of a chance that they're going to run into something that is going to cause them problems or cause them to need a piece of equipment that they don't have on site in the field. That's exactly right. It truly is a controlled environment. It's something that they own in an area that they have control over, as opposed to in the field where you'd have to deal more with environmentals and other work conditions. And for the most part, the different methods follow kind of the same scale between shop and field application. However, one major difference that I thought was interesting was that in in the shop, an SP2, a hand clean, is more expensive than a power tool clean. However, in the field, a power tool clean is more expensive than a hand tool clean. And I think that has to do back to the containment. I think you're exactly right there, Jack. It's a matter of how much debris are you putting into the environment that you have to contain? And the more control you have over the release of that debris, the, the less effort you have to put into containing it. So when you're just dealing with hand scrapers and hand sanders, let's just say your mess is very confined. It's always going to be right around where you're working. As opposed to if you have a power sander or a needle gun or something that is causing a mechanical impact or a mechanical movement, it happens at a much higher rate than it does when you do it with your hand and therefore causes a wider spread that that debris is going to be uh, spread around. Correct. One of the things that I found interesting about the prices of the cost for the different abrasive blast methods actually had to do with media. That in the shop, using recycled grit is actually cheaper than using expendable grit. However, in the field, there's a multiplier for using recyclable grit. And basically for SP5 and above, you're going to multiply by 1.5 to 1.9 times 
for recyclable grit. And that's in the field. And that's because once again, you're out in the field and you have to collect that recyclable grit. In a shop, it's probably going through a wheel abrader or something like that, where it's a standard enclosed system. And it just, that way it truly is cheaper for everybody. But it's interesting to see how the labor costs of trying to get that media reclaimed in the field makes it significantly more expensive. That's right, Jack. So it really does show that there's a lot to consider when you're trying to evaluate what's going to be the total price of this job, whether you're the applicator trying to put a bid together or a fabricator who's trying to look at how to assemble the parts before, do you do it before you paint them, after you paint them, or whether you're an owner and you're just trying to anticipate for budgetary purposes where some quotes may come in at. All of those factors, there's a lot that goes into trying to determine what the price is going to be for this job and how that's going to affect the lifespan of the coding system. And all we have talked about right now is how to get the dirt and grime and mill scale off the surface. Sure. And that's been a whole episode. You know, and obviously one other thing that we didn't need to talk about uh, necessarily is obviously as you go up to the greater degrees of cleanliness, the price increases. So an SP5 slash NACE1 is going to be the most expensive with a brush off blast being the least expensive of these blasting methods. And that's going to really come to show though, and be a comparison that we can use when we look at coding systems. And in one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about how the same coding system life is different based on the surface prep that you used. So you'll have to look at the per year cost And that's when those factors will really shine as to what the difference is for surface prep cost. And I know we've talked about it in the past and we're running long right now. So maybe we'll talk about it later. But remember that the degrees of surface cleanliness are directly tied to service life. That you are going to get a longer service life out of something that is blasted versus something that is not out of something that is blasted to near white or white versus something that is blasted in a brush off method. That's right. The more time put in at the beginning will give you more life at the end, almost always. All right. So for review, anything that's been painted previously is going to be significantly more expensive than new construction. Shop surface prep is going to be cheaper than field surface prep because in the shop, you don't have to worry about containment. And everything that you have and that you want is there available to you. That's right. And as you go up in cleanliness levels, they typically get more expensive to perform that function to some degree. And lastly, the size and shape of the asset have a massive effect on the cost of surface prep. You know, if you have a lot of innies and outies, you're going to have a higher, (laughs) I couldn't think of any other way to say it. But if you have more complexity to what you're coding, if you require scaffolding, things like that, getting up in the air, it's all going to increase the cost. And next time we're going to get into... I think on the next one, we're going to be talking about, yes, about coding technology. And then we'll get into a little bit about application equipment, uh, the different methods of applying the products. Then we'll get into some more environmental factors, I think. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you then. And so... For the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd we'd like like to thank thank you for your support. support.